So on February 14th, 2021, you might already, the date might jump out to you as a significant day, Valentine's Day, but that's not why I'm bringing it up. We started a journey in Paul's letter to the Corinthian church. And over two years and 60 sermons later, we arrive at the final chapter. Along the way, we've come to see the Corinthian church was not a model church by any means. In fact, they were filled with problems, relationship problems, sin problems, marriage problems, unity problems, Christian liberty problems, being a witness within the community problems, theological problems related to the Lord's Supper, the spiritual gifts, what we've been looking at in chapter 15 related to the resurrection. They had all sorts of problems. Do you ever have problems that come up in your life? Okay, if you have a pulse this morning, you have problems. We are broken people with lots of problems, spiritual issues that we're always working through. Now, if I was going to end this letter, my first instinct would be to remind the Corinthians of all their problems. Hey, remember, remember what I said in chapter 3? Remember what I said in chapter 5? in chapter 7, in chapters 8, pretty much in every chapter. Remember all these problems and remember not to be doing these things. Like, let me just recap them for you so they're fresh in your mind as this letter winds down. Get these things in order. Now, in our effort to fix the problems, as I would think about it, we, we often focus more on the problem and then it's like we're treading water. We're not getting anywhere. We, we, we turn the focus inward instead of focusing outward. Which at one level we think, well, the problem is, is here. It's in. It's me. So I need to just focus here. That's where the Corinthian church was at. Their problems that we, we just addressed in a very brief way and ran through all stem from pride and selfishness. They wanted certain things a certain way. They wanted to build a name for themselves. They wanted to be seen as spiritual. And at the end of the day, they were thinking too much about themselves. They wanted a church that had themselves at the center rather than Jesus at the center. We could say it this way. They had, they had a love for the church but it was a love for their church as they wanted it, not Christ's church. We see this in little phrases like at the end of chapter 15 where he says to them and admonishes them and calls them to always abound in the work of the Lord. You're not abounding in your work. It's not your church. You're bound, abounding in the work of the Lord. And so Paul addresses, as he is addressing these problems to the Corinthians, his heart for the Corinthians had not, not changed one bit. In fact, the emphasis here at the end of the book is things that we've talked about along the way. His heart isn't merely that they would correct their wrong living, that they would correct their wrong thinking, that they would correct their wrong theology. 
we find Paul's heart in verse number 14, in verse number 22. In verse 14, Paul says to them, let all that you do be done in love. In verse number 22, he says, if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. Paul's heart for the Corinthian church is that these Christians would love the Lord above everything and anything else. The heartbeat of the church isn't for social gatherings, community development, political activism, to build a name for ourselves. It's love for Jesus and his kingdom. It's why Paul comes to the end of his letter and calls them to love the Lord and he calls them to kingdom work. There's a difference. I think we'll see this by, I hope we see this by the time I'm done here this morning. There's a difference between kingdom building and church building. In chapter 16, the focus is on kingdom building. And Paul brings the focus away from their church and he puts it on Christ's kingdom. Look, I know you have all these problems and I know you're concerned about your church, but there's something that's much bigger than your church. Now the danger to be aware of here before we really get into the heart of this sermon, what's not being said is that we should pretend like everything's okay. Corinth, you know, you got all these problems, but just pretend like it's okay and just keep serving. Just keep doing these things outward. That's the classic definition of a hypocrite. Just ignore the problems and just serve. We don't ignore or minimize the sin problems that we have, but we continue to work for the kingdom as these problems are being corrected. So Corinth had to address these problems, but Paul says, you're going to do that as you look outward. You're not just going to turn inward. And the last thing that Paul says to the church is a warning for those who do not love the Lord. In verse 22, as I read, if you have no love for the Lord, you are accursed. Anathema, devoted to destruction. And really at the heart of this, we could ask the question that Paul, Paul is bringing up to their minds. Do you have a love for the Lord or a love for yourself? Who do you love? And what has been demonstrated in their lives in Corinth is a love for self, which is being played out in the context of the church. They're, they're, they're fighting at the time of communion in chapter 11 when they should be loving one another. This love for self is being played out within their church. And so we could even ask the question, is your love for your church greater than your love for the Lord? That's where the Corinthians are at. The church is serving my purposes. It's meeting my needs. It's elevating my status. And Paul hits them with this warning. With devastating ends, eternal destruction is what, what is being 
emphasized. But throughout chapter 16, and this is where we're going to go back to verses 1 through 4, he's been giving them some evaluation markers that are going to reveal the answer to this question in their own lives, which I'm going to summarize like this, okay? So if, if we have a big picture idea, a big thing that we're looking at, and then we're going to a- answer a question related to it, a love for the kingdom indicates a love for the king. A love for the kingdom indicates a love for the king. Now, it's, it's subtle, but it's so important that the focus is not on ourselves and not just on our church, but on the kingdom, which is Paul's greatest concern because our love for the kingdom shows that we have a love for the king and not just ourselves. And so we ask the question, well, what does, the, what does love for the kingdom look like? And we're going to cover four uh, points in the next two weeks, four evaluation markers. Man, do I have a love for the kingdom? And what if I, if I try to figure out what that would look like, here are four, four markers of evaluation that I think Paul brings up to them and gets them to be thinking about. What does love for the kingdom look like? The, first, the, the only point we're going to cover this morning is giving. Giving financially. Verse, verse number one, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints. So like he's done before, Paul addresses an issue or a question that's come up in the Corinthian church once uh, at some point. And he's writing back to them, and the issue being addressed is monetary giving, our financial giving. Now, this is the favorite topic of every pastor and church member. Not, okay? Um, These Corinthian believers, though, were so focused on their church that Paul, in these four verses, literally provides step-by-step instructions on what this should look like. I mean, he really dumbs it down. And it's helpful for us. And Paul addresses the why, the who, the when, the how, the how much of giving in these four short verses. So so let's look at these verses by using those questions. Okay, First question we're going to look at related to giving. Why give? Why should we be giving? Well, verse 1. This is, you are talking about the collection for the saints. In verse number 3, at the very end, He's talking about carrying the gift to Jerusalem. So these are believers, saints, in Jerusalem. That The money that's going to be collected is is not staying in the Corinthian church to build their bank account. It's being collected to go to the needs of the believers in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem was 817 miles from Corinth. So I thought, well, how far is that in today? So we should get on Google Maps. 817 miles from here would be very close. Uh, Savannah, Georgia is 816 miles, okay? I'm sure there's other points that you could reference. But uh, Savannah, Georgia is 816 miles from where we stand today. That's about the distance. And of course, they didn't have automobiles that could get you there in 13, 14 hours. Uh, we're, We're talking about... they. Most of these people probably never have been to Corinth and never would go to Corinth. But when you read through the book of Acts, 
Acts is the story of the early church unfolding. You'll see the church of, the, of Jerusalem was really the mother church of all the other churches in the Roman Empire. It was first established at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, and from there the apostles, the early believers, were sent on missionary journeys to establish churches all across the known world. And as this happened, local churches shared each other's burdens, and they gave as was needed. When a need came up in another church, that church, would, other churches would send in and help, send people, send resources. The Corinthian church was to have a concern for the church in Jerusalem. And there's this need in Jerusalem. Paul says, look, collect, you're to be collecting money. So their giving, the giving of the church there in Corinth, it went beyond the needs of their own members. And now they were giving to the needs of believers in distant, distant churches who they may never personally meet. Why? Because their church was part of something that was far bigger than themselves. It was part of the kingdom of God, the church universal. That's why we are to give. Because we are giving to those in need who are a part of God's spiritual kingdom all across the world. So why do we give? We just answered that. Who should give? Okay? See the need, but really, who should be the one giving? Well, verses 1 and 2 answer that for us as well. He says in verse 1, I directed the churches of Galatia this way, so you also are to do. In short, the responsibility to give falls on every church and every member. Look, I've already instructed the Galatian church to give this way. Now I'm instructing you, and that would continue to any other church as well. But we might think, well, it's easy to exclude ourselves. Well, our, our church, my church gives. But notice what he says in verse number 2. After that first little phrase, he says, Each one of you is to put something aside and store it up. So now Paul makes clear that his instruction to give is to each one of you. Now it's getting personal. Paul doesn't tell them, hey, look, have a bake sale, hold a car wash, raise some money. You know, he says, each one of you, I want you to store something up. I want you to give. Now think about this being read to the Corinthian church and, then, and them hearing each one of you. you. You can think about that because that's what's happening right now. Each one of you. You're, you're thinking about in this moment your own personal life and giving. It's not the rich. It's not the adults. So working teens and kids as you get money, Paul's looking at you. It's not just those with the spiritual gift of giving. That's not usually one of the gifts that people clamor for. I want that gift. Each one of you is to give. When to give. We've got to keep moving. When to give. Well, verse 2 addresses that question as well. On the first day of every week. So four words that stand out for us. First day and every week. And these words tell us two things. One, they gathered on Sunday for worship. 
Okay, it's the first day of the week they were gathering, and it tells us that giving was part of their weekly worship of the Lord. It was to be regular and consistent. So giving is not like paying a tip when we get good service. Hey, the songs are really good today. I'm going to give a little bit. I'm going to give a little bit more. I really like the sermon today, so I'm going to give. Somebody said hi to me, so I feel compelled So it's not worship on the one hand and giving on the other. No, giving is part of our worship. When you drop money into those boxes in the back or when we have a collection for something or we give online, we're worshiping God as we do that. And so part of our gathering as God's people in worship is giving back part of what God has blessed us with. We do it regularly and consistently for the good of the kingdom. Fourth question we're looking at, how much to give? And this is probably the most common question people have. How much am I required to give? Is there like this, what's the benchmark? What's the bare minimum I need to give? Maybe Corinth, the Corinthians had this in their mind. How much do I need to give in order to be considered spiritual? Remember, that was one of their big things. And do you hear the problem in a question like this? Giving is now a duty. It's an obligation. It's something to elevate me and my status. It's not an act of worship. If you remember Paul, Paul has already lived the life of a Pharisee. Where everything is reduced to black and white rules. Where his standing before God is based on how well he kept certain laws. And you might remember the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Paul, Paul would be included in that. They were incredibly particular about giving the tithe. Okay? The, tithe, the word tithe, maybe you've heard that word before, means 10%. It's what the law had required and commanded. And they were so particular that they even tithed on their spices. Mint and dill and cumin. Hey, ladies, if you keep spices, can you imagine? Okay, what's 10% of this container? But instead of giving a number, instead of giving a percentage, Paul instead says, you are to give as he may prosper. The NIV makes this even maybe more clear or or a little bit easier to, to process It says, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. So if your giving is an act of worship, it should come from the heart with no restrictions. Well, I've met the minimum here. I'm good to go. No, the charge that Paul gives is to give. And how much is left for you to prayerfully consider before the Lord? Which brings us to the last question that we're going to look at, and that is, what is the heart attitude? And that question really gets us into ready to ask this question, the, for the previous question, getting us into the heart attitude of things. Paul hints in these verses that their giving shouldn't feel like it's being forced. At the end of verse number two, you notice what it says, so that you're to do this so that... There will be no collecting when I come. 
So Paul believes that they should be regularly desiring to give for the good of brothers and sisters in Christ 817 miles away and that he shouldn't need to get there, get to Corinth and say, all right, guys, come on. What, there's, you haven't been collecting anything. Let's open up your wallets. Let's go. Like, I got to pull this out of you. No, he says, you should be wanting to give so that when I come, I don't have to make an appeal to this. Another important clue that this giving is a willing and joyful giving is, is in the word collection. Now, the word is only used twice in the entire New Testament in verses 1 and 2. Collection or collecting. Um, and, it, and it means collecting contributions of money. But it has, it has a little bit of an emphasis on especially those involving a monetary response. So, so nobody's coming to say, like, like, you're forced to give this. This should be a voluntary response. They were, to, they were to have a desire to give voluntarily and something that was prompted from within. Because giving to the church is God's design for how he cares for his people, how he sees his kingdom grow. Now maybe some of you are sitting there thinking, well, I knew I shouldn't have come today. This is, this is why the church turns me off, because the church only cares about money. Well, I, I can sympathize a bit with some of those feelings, because in certain instances, there are churches and church leaders that unfortunately only care about money. Paul warns uh, about this as he writes to Timothy and Titus about choosing elders and pa- pastor elders, that they're not to be greedy for money. The leaders shouldn't have that mindset, but the people should not as well. And, and I think there are a couple things from our passage that demonstrate that the collection that Paul is calling for isn't about greed. We think about who is being asked. Well, the members of this congregation in Corinth. Where is the money going? Well, it's not going to the leaders in Corinth, and it's not even going to their own church. It's going to other Christians in need, as we talked about. But then also consider what Paul says and how he he wants to be transparent and tells them to select people they approve of. In verse number three, when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit or you approve of by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. So it's like Paul saying, look, I want you to be comfortable with your giving and maybe you don't even trust me. So you pick out some people that you find trustworthy and they will carry your gift to Jerusalem. Be stewards, Corinth, of the finances that you've been entrusted with. Be transparent as a church. Paul's even, we can draw principles, have checks and balances so that you remain above board, that there's no accusations made. Oh, they were alone with the, the collection box. What have they been doing? Know where your money is going. We, we, we had to reevaluate here as a church, one of our mission uh, agencies that we supported. Not too long ago, we ended up redirecting some of our missions giving because of how much was not making it to, to the people through that organization. And so as a church, we're called the steward, even the giving, but our giving as it's going out, we should do that in a wise way. So we have all these questions. 
What do we do with them? Well, church family, this instruction to the Corinthians that Paul says this also went to the Galatians, but it also goes to the church in Tioga County today or wherever. Okay, these, are, these are global church instructions. Each one of us is to give regularly and consistently as part of our act of worship. The Bible doesn't prescribe how we collect the money, but that we collect the money. And we give as individuals. And as we give as individuals, of course, the basic premise is that we're, we're not giving for ourselves, but we're giving for others. We're giving with a focus outward. But that mindset needs to extend to the corporate body as well. What are we doing with the resources that we have? Are they going out to further the kingdom? We don't give to fill our coffers. We don't give to make our building extravagant, to make ourselves feel comfortable. We give with the larger kingdom in mind. We give out of love for the kingdom, which indicates our love for the king. We literally have spiritual brothers and sisters around this country and around this world that we are called to care for in their time of need. We have been given that opportunity. We don't just say, boy, it's too bad for them. No, it should well up within us a desire to give as those who are part of the kingdom of Christ. Once again, the warning, the danger that I mentioned towards the beginning, we we don't overlook the needs of our local body, but we look for opportunities to partner above and beyond. So we're not looking at our neighbor to foot the bill. If you've been glancing at the person next to you, or the person in front of you, we're, we're opening up our wallets and our bank accounts. In fact, in our membership covenant, we have this statement that we are to regularly give of our finances. We didn't just throw that in there because, hey, that would be a good thing and that would help us out. No, because we're called to give regularly and consistently of our finances. Kids, teens, I address, address you for just a moment Do you ever get money at different times from work, wherever? Learn now how to give joyfully and regularly. And you'll find that God will never disappoint in providing for your needs as you walk by faith. You can't outgive God. So give regularly and consistently. And it may not be that you give every week. You might give after each pay. You get paid bi-weekly. You get paid monthly or some other schedule. But the point is that our giving isn't just a one-time event, just like our paychecks aren't one-time events. And with our technology today, you might give online. That's okay too. Okay, Remember, we're not parsing out pharisaical rules around these things. Just like thinking about the tithe. How much should we give? 10% was the requirement under the law. However, we don't see this principle reestablished in the New Testament. Instead, what we read is, like we see in verse number two, we are to give as we may prosper. Two verses I want to draw our attention to. Don't know if we have them on the screen, but 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 3 One and three, I should say. Paul writes again, this is the second letter to the Corinthians. 
I hear some pages rustling, so I'll pause for just a moment. Second Corinthians 8.1, he says, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul's holding the church of Macedonia up as an example. In verse number 3, he says, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. So these are the principles that we read. These are the things that that Paul draws out in his letters uh, and others to their letters to the churches. We're not just giving the tithe, but he says they're even giving beyond their means. They're giving of their own accord freely because they want to. 2 Corinthians 9-7 talks about that we're not to give out of compulsion, but we're to give joyfully because God loves a cheerful giver. So brothers, sisters, give prayerfully as you have prospered. That's going to look different for each one of us. But we come to, as we wrap, we need to wrap up here, the, in, the, the inward prompting of our giving. We, are, we give based out of a prompting of what has been given to us. And we can think of many physical blessings that the Lord has given to us. We have so many just living in this country. I mean, we have greater physical blessings than, than the majority of the world. However, our giving must be prompted by more than physical blessings. How can Paul write about the church of Macedonia who gave willingly beyond their means? I don't know what their incomes were, but it doesn't matter because they're, they're giving beyond their means. This is what I feel comfortable giving. I, you know, it's going to cramp my lifestyle if I give any more. No, he says they gave, well, they're being prompted by God's ultimate gift, Jesus going to the cross. That's where our giving needs to begin. It's why Paul, he's, okay, going back to chapter 16 in 1 Corinthians 1, or 1 Corinthians, sorry, chapter 16, he's building on what he's already said in chapter 15. And do you remember what he said in 1557? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. God has already given us victory over sin and death. We as sinful, broken people are deserving of nothing but destruction. We we deserve the anathema at the end of this letter. Yet we have graciously been given the gift of life and God the Father gave his son Jesus to pay the debt we could never pay. Jesus willingly and joyfully gave his life and went to the cross to provide forgiveness and restore a relationship to, back to, the, to what it was intended in the beginning with our creator. A friend, like, like any gift, it needs to be received. I don't know where your heart is this morning. It's been freely offered, but it must be received. And so we ask, well, what does it mean to receive it? It means turning from your sin, repentance, and trusting that Jesus' sacrifice paid the debt in full. Your sin debt was atoned for, was paid for. The, The debt that you owe a holy God has been covered. We don't deserve this. 
So God had two choices in dealing with our sin. Give to humanity what it deserves or give himself what humanity deserves. And all the punishment and all of God's wrath placed on himself. And what, his, what does his plan reveal? It reveals that he is a merciful and gracious God, not willing that any should perish, but that all would come to repentance. Friend, we, we like to think more highly of ourselves than we should. But don't believe the subtle lies of our culture that say, hey, you deserve this. You deserve to just make yourself feel comfortable, to, to buy the thing. Like you, you worked hard for these things, and I get it. We work hard for these things, but all of that is a gift of, from God. And we are called to something greater that is outside of ourselves. And so all that we have and all that we are is by grace and grace alone. And so we live in light of that grace. We rest in light of that grace. We give in light of the grace that God has given to us. And so may we give out of love for our king and his kingdom.